Hey, welcome to On to Waveland, presented by Topps. Check out Topps Project 70, celebrating 70 years of Topps baseball cards. I am Brett Taylor, joined by Sahadev Sharma and Patrick Booney. We are here to talk Cubs with you on the Monday off day in between the Cardinal series and the Pirates series. And it's, a, it's actually a good time to reflect back because... I think for most of the month of, in fact, the calendar set up well for us to sort of mentally compartmentalize this because the month of April, it sort of felt like um, the Cubs were struggling so deeply on the offensive side of the ball. The results were not there. They were slipping at one point. This may have trickled into May, but I believe they got down to about five games below 500 at one point. And it, it started to feel like we were getting our answer. Uh, as to how this season was going to go, because as we all know, Cubs are really playing two seasons this year. They're, they've got a first half of the year where it needs to be clear what they are, what they can be, what level of competitiveness they have, uh, because then certain decisions will be made in July on that basis. And um, actually, you know what? I'm just, I'm going to, I'm going to, I want to talk about that real quick before I set up. I was going to, I know I told you before we started recording, Sade, <laughs> I was going to set you up to say all these amazing things about the bullpen and David Ross, and I'm still going to, but what occurred to me in, uh, is as Jed Hoyer was speaking last week, he was talking to you guys and talking about the state of things, all kinds of topics. You know, I wondered if under the hood, he'd never say it. He could never admit it. If a little part of him is watching this team bounce above and below 500 and then kind of as, as soon as it's they start to move in one direction they kind of move in the other i just wonder if part of him is like quietly seething simmering like <laughs> it's fine either way you guys could be really good or you can be really bad but pick a damn lane because otherwise this is all going to fall to me and i'm going to be either the idiot who didn't make the moves or the villain who did make the moves can you please make this easier on me and the cubs are certainly not so far making it easy on him although even though you know so this kind of goes to what I was saying, but in May, they have overall been pretty darn good on the results side. It's just that the schedule was such that May was going to be the month that they were going to look good, even if they weren't that good, because the schedule kind of allowed it. Yeah, you know, I I actually think Jed has less of an emotional response to these swings than maybe Theo does uh, or did when he was team president. I think it Jed seems like Jed seems to be able to pull himself away as much as he hates losing and, and gets very, you know, angry about uh, individual games, uh, win or lose. He can he can get upset or get high or low with those. I do think that overall he he's able to pull back and see the big picture very clearly and, and make a, a, a sound decision and a difficult one. I mean, the you Darvish trade was not popular. And, and he was and he pulled it off because he felt it was the right time and the right thing to do. He knows he, he said, I think he, he felt that Darvish would have the type of season he's having right now. But he also felt like it's the back half of a contract of a big contract. We're entering a, a period as the Cubs that that we need to kind of find a way to not just add impact, but depth to the to the system and and he believes and i think in his mind he believed that adding davies was enough to to kind of help keep the big league team afloat and competitive while also finally restocking a system that's just been you know torn apart over the past few years right whether it's uh, trades or poor drafting or poor player development 
So I think he is able to, as much as it probably is, if they're hovering around 500 or they're playing this up and down nature, it probably is a bit frustrating. But yeah, I think he can kind of pull away and look at the big picture a little bit better than most. And I think whatever happens come July, I think he'll be able to make the tough, right decisions. Hopefully he's he can he feels comfortable, whether we agree with it or not. I think he he's willing to take the heat. Yeah, I remember asking him shortly after he took over uh, of kind of this perception that, yeah, there's only 30 of these jobs out there and this is a dream job for you, but you're kind of the guy who has to like clean up the mess. And I think I phrased it a little differently or more politely, but he kind of nodded and said, you know, I just look at it as as a group. It's not just me, but we have to stack one good decision on top of another like that's the only way to do it it's cliche but like we'll have our process we have to keep kind of just stick to that core belief system and i don't know i think to brett's point about the schedule like the cubs are 11 and 2 against the dodgers mets nationals and cardinals this year i think those are four teams that you would have penciled in as like good bets to make the nl cs this year uh, i believe they're like five and four against the Pirates, they've been bad against the Brewers and how bad they were in April. It wasn't – I mean, the offense was unwatchable and the starting rotation was, like, totally non-competitive. So, like, those are, like, two kind of pretty important parts about baseball, um, <laughs> sources tell me. Uh, but this – what we've seen is pretty good. They've been a tough team to beat, and that, I think, is Jed, Jed's primary criteria of looking at, like, how do we match up every single night, and I think they've – certainly passed the eye test against what were perceived to be, you know, the winner of the offseason, the Mets, the last two teams to win the World Series and their ancient division rival that they have to be measured against constantly. So I'm sure Jed will make um, the decision whether or not it's irregardless of the popularity, but I don't think he's like, wants to sell like he will if he has to um but i think there's so many other factors to this that um can't be ignored whether it's just the kind of gigantic middle finger you'd give your fans when they came back to wrigley field like at full capacity um the fact that all of these guys want to play and stay in chicago and that they have a ton of financial flexibility coming off the books uh and that they have been this process of rebuilding the farm system has been years in the making. And maybe that Darvish trade was kind of, okay, now we did that. That bought us some time and a little breathing room here. And that we don't have to be automatic sellers, particularly when Jed's admitted this, the method they use at the beginning of this rebuild is no longer nearly as effective because so many other people do it. Yeah. I mean, I think that when, when the time comes for the buy sell decisions, um, <clears throat> I think, we're going to have to remind people again that as great as Chris Bryant is, for example, guys like him on, you know, that you're getting for two months in the playoffs, no matter how good they are, they just don't net any more in trade what you maybe would have thought or what Cubs fans will think of when they think of Chris Bryant. And so that's just a bit of an aside, but it's going to be just important to remember, particularly to, you know, if Craig Kimbrell were to be traded the Aroldis Chapman trade cannot be the benchmark off of which you judge that return. Um, so out of curiosity then, if if today were July 29th and 
you know, you had to make the decision or uh, not your decision. If this were the Cubs and you have no new information and it's July 29th, do you think this Cubs team is selling a bit, buying a bit, just letting it ride, you know, based on everything you know right now about the team? I know what I think the answer is, but I, I'll, I'm going to say, I, you know, since I set it up, I get to save mine for last. So what do you think? <laughs> I, yeah, they've, they've made it a really hard decision if, if this is ju- the end of July and they're playing like this, looking like this. Um, I I would honestly, I my like it's a cop out, but I need to know what happens in June. Like I need to see how they're performing against those teams. I think that's huge. And that, that like June is going to tell us everything. In my opinion, it's going to make Jed Hoyer's decision for him. In my opinion, uh, how they look against those teams. I know Patrick uh, nailed it with what he said about how they've played against the good team so far this year, but it, that's a really daunting schedule. And and if they can come out of it and, and still be in the thick of things, I'm going to be impressed. And, and I would, you'd be hard pressed to sell. Uh, I just think this, this is, I know I, I said this, uh, you know, what in early April, like what's it going to take for us to, how much do we need to see before we start being believers? I'm not a believer that this is a great team, but this is a different offense. I, I can say that. I, like, it's not the same offense. It's a different group, and and it looks different, and it feels different, and and there are moments where you just that impending sense of doom when there were bases loaded, no outs for a while there, and you're just like, how are they going to screw this up? It's like, you know what? I trust they're going to get at least one run out of this. Yeah, you want more out of bases loaded, no outs, but I believe that this group. Someone will figure out a way to put the ball in play and get at least a run and salvage this moment. If not, you know, uh, put one in the gap, right? This is a, it that, and I know that's just a feeling, but the numbers back that up. It's just a different team. And, and I don't know how long they can keep this going. And if it works against uh, San Diego's, you know, great pitching staff or, or what is going to happen, but it. If they're playing like this, yeah, and they and they look good against good teams, I don't know how you you say you you sell. That's that's really hard unless there's just like you have all this information. Unless Jed, it's clear that Rizzo, Javi, and KB just are like, yeah, we're not resigning. You know, unless he has that information and he knows like this has gone really you know sideways as far as any negotiations or chance of extension. Uh, which, you know, wouldn't add up if they're playing well and happy and, and, and you know, they, they all seem to to enjoy being here and playing for David Ross. So, uh, but yeah, I think that's, you know, unless those guys make it clear, there's no chance of an extension or re-signing in the offseason, you'd be hard-pressed to sell, I think, if they're playing like this because they're playing good baseball. And, and I think here's something that I, I think it was really frustrating during the broadcast yesterday was how they tried to paint the one-run losses as a negative on the team. And I that was really frustrating to listen to because I think the reason this team is like was is losing one run games is because they're a good competitive team right now. They like Jed said it and Patrick repeated it. They are hard to beat. Their bullpen, you put the bullpen in it doesn't matter if they come in in the fourth inning or the seventh inning, they're likely going to shut you down. And that's hard to say. That's, I mean, that's hard to deal with as an opposition for the opposition. I mean, you can't really come back against the Cubs with this bullpen right now. That's where they're at. That's how good the bullpen has been. And it, 
and they're so deep, they can bring up other guys from the minors that are doing really well. I, I, I really think they've constructed the pitching really well. They've figured something out over the past couple of years, and, and they deserve a ton of props for that. Yeah, Brett, I thought you made a good point uh, as kind of an aside that what we think the Cubs could get for these players is probably not nearly as uh, substantial as what the reality would be. And that's the easiest thing Jed can say on the Zoom on whatever, July 31st or August 1st, whenever or the 30th, whatever it is this year, of like, look, no one made it worth our while. We love these guys. We're going to give it one more run. Because if the Cubs think they have a chance, like that means the National League is like way more muddled than we even think in July. That like who – who is going to look at the roster and say, if not now, when, the way that Theo did in 2016? I mean, the the Dodgers already won their title. The Padres essentially did this uh, in last winter. Uh, they're not trading Chris Bryant to the Cardinals. And then the National League East is so kind of jumbled that obviously there's a whole another league there as well. But I think, you know, you can kind of – see a scenario where and I can't believe I'm like agreeing with A-Rod here but he mentioned this idea of like a hybrid kind of strategy where maybe they sell you know they're not going to trade all 15 guys that are about to come free agents but maybe they do try to do some like what the Yankees did in 2016 to where they still remained a competitive team and maybe Jed gets back an interesting piece or maybe he does enough to make it feel like this wasn't a wasted opportunity because these there are only so many cycles like this where you can make transactions and you know acquire new talent. And um, I just think if the Cubs want to build something, if they want to like reframe this window, I, I think there is a a real risk in selling that you know people don't you know want to see more like teenagers who've never played in the minors before being like the main return for like the players whose like uh, posters are on their wall or you know, the jerseys they have. Like, you know, I think it's a lot more, there are many more dimensions to it than I think just, just buy and buy and sell. I think that's the right answer as far as where I sit too. Uh, you, you stole my thunder there, Mooney. I thought after Sahadev ended up just totally rejecting the question and answering <laughs> what he wanted to answer instead, yeah. I was like, okay, I'm going to be able to say what I want to say. And then Mooney, you just took it. But that's great. I do think that's a good Cubs strategy. If, if you ask a question, then you just answer something totally different. Exactly. And then just let the other side of the year. You've learned on these Zooms then. Uh, but yeah, I think that if, if this was the information that we had and if this is where the standings were and all these things, I think you would still see the Cubs very seriously consider what their return could be. For example, for someone like Craig Kimbrell, where you may net something of, of significant value and then you can frame it as, but this isn't a sell-off. We have so much bullpen depth, so many interesting young guys. We kind of wanted to see what they would do in the ninth inning. We kind of wanted, yeah. you know, like... And I'm not saying that would be entirely either faithful or disingenuous, but I mean, like, you know, there's a little part of me that's like, oh, I'd be curious, you know, we get, put one of those young guys in the ninth inning, boom, just I mean, why see what happens. Why couldn't you move Kimbrell and Chafin? Like, you have so yeah. much left-handed depth, and 
like lefty reliever, veteran lefty relievers are usually a decent commodity at the deadline. And Kimbrell, I mean, there's a situation where it makes sense that Rowan Wick comes back in the middle of June and is dominant, right? And it's like, oh, this guy's a great setup guy. I'm not saying this happens, but yeah. and you feel like he's your future closer, and and somehow you're still competing by trade, and you can trade Kimbrell and Chafin. This is like a you know a scenario that's not going to play out, and and it's, it is a dream yes. scenario probably for Jed, but it's. Like the fact that you can even talk about it and not, and it's not just completely insane is is a little weird to me. But I I I I can see it. I can see how you can kind of do the half in half out, and it's not not a cop out type thing. Well, to that point, and here's where I can uh, return to what I was going to set up for you, Zahadev, is that, um, you know the like we've said the Cubs last seven losses one run games. And the old trope was, um, oh boy, you know, those, the teams with bad records in one-run games, those are the teams that have bullpen issues. And we have talked about this for years, actually, where we just never bought that. Uh, it, didn't, it didn't actually seem correct. It seemed like it was more likely that teams that had poor or lost a lot of one-run games, it's because they were either just a terrible team and they were never good enough to, to get over that hump and win those games, or they were a very competitive team, and so sometimes you're winning by a lot, and then the games that you are losing, you're only losing by very few runs. And so it just happens that a lot of those are one-run games. And I think what we've seen manifest from this Cubs team, in addition to a nice turn from the offense in the last month, it's that if you have a stellar bullpen like the Cubs do, you will inevitably turn a lot of early three-run deficits into one-run deficits because your bullpen is locking it down from there. You know, because the Cubs don't have th- these back, these um, you know, middle relievers that you're just chucking out there to like end a game, eat runs and whatever, end a game. No, they are loaded. That This bullpen is so full that even with all the injuries that they have sustained, we barely even talk about some of the guys who are injured because it's just like next man up. Oh, that's another guy I really want to see. And oh, he's really pitches nasty also. I mean, there's literally you go to the Iowa roster right now and there's like five more guys that I'm like, man, I really wish he could be up. Um, and so uh, that's a credit, obviously, system wide, developmentally, uh, great choices of guys to bring in all of these things. But to a point that you had started to make as well, it's a credit to David Ross's ability to sense what guys to put into what roles. Cause there is a feel element to that. And now when guys succeed right away, some of that is luck. Cause sometimes you can't know for sure how a guy's really going to perform when the heat is on uh, in the big leagues. But some of that's a credit to his sense. And then some of it is him knowing very quickly this this seems to be like one of those uncanny knack things that we'll have to track. It seems like he knows very quickly which guys he can you know see one or two performances from and be like, oh, that's a guy I can trust in this kind of role, or this is a guy that needs to be in this kind of role. And we for years followed the Cubs where they would build up these kind of low cost fill in bullpen types of things, and they would have success. But remember, it was always like April and May. It would be this feeling out process of like, oh, who could handle what? And we would just accept, yeah, you're going to lose some in the process. And then the Cubs would have a great bullpen in the second half. They did it every year of the Joe Madden era. Well, right now, and this goes back to last year in his, his short partial season, I don't, there, there really wasn't that period of like, oh, we've, we've just learned this guy and we figured out he's just not going to fit in this role. It's like every button David Ross presses in terms of 
getting success from a reliever has seemed to be spot on. Yeah, I mean, and, he, you know, obviously he deferred to the players. They're the ones getting the job done, and, and he's right. I mean, all credit, 99% of the credit goes to the players for getting the job done. These guys have stepped up, whether it's Justin Steele, Keegan Thompson, or, or the veterans of the group like DePera and Winkler. Uh, Winkler is uh, the most criticized sub .75 ERA reliever in the history of baseball, I think. Like, every single time he comes in, Cubs Twitter like has a meltdown that this guy's the worst reliever ever and I'm like he had one three walk outing and now everybody has decided that he's just the worst and he can't get anyone out and he has a sub one ERA it's it's very bizarre to see how much frustration comes from Cubs Twitter uh, but I mean you're the the depth they've created in in Iowa is impressive I mean Justin Steele losing Justin Steele stings it, it, that's not a good thing for the bullpen but to be able to call up brad wick who has like a 40 percent strikeout rate and, and you know like can miss bats and you have another lefty now coming in that can miss bats uh david ross said that you know he you know he has an eye for this he he does like he he sat behind the plate watching pitchers for 15 years it's some of the best pitchers we've seen he knows the look he knows when a guy has it when a guy doesn't uh, i thought his feel for the alzali pull the other day against washington that is the type of thing that you have to be have feel for you have to know your staff you have to understand what's going on for the as men as it was what 63 pitches through five innings you leave that guy in it's only three runs right that's obvious no he saw that he didn't have it he went to his catcher and talked to him about it the catcher said exactly what ross was thinking and then alzali said it after the game too and it, I mean, they he sees those things. Tommy Hadovy said it yesterday as well. The other day as well, uh, he has a he has an eye for when a guy's coming off the mound. He knows, okay, how's this guy looking? What is he confident? Is he happy that he you know with the job that he's done? What's you know? Let me let me get a feel for him. Let me have a quick chat with him. How's he feeling? How's his stuff looking? What you know? He knows how who to lean on in his dugout as far as Hadovy and Borzello. He knows. Uh, Chris Young and the, the bullpen coach, he has a lot of info uh, that 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 he can provide as well. He, it's a, it's been what four months of of David Ross managing, and I I gotta say I'm pretty impressed. I, I think the most impressive thing was the switching of the lineup and and really getting these guys this this offense to turn around because I know we were all just over that offense. It was hard to watch, and he picked he didn't wait too long for guys to figure it out he put the right people in the right position uh, i think we all felt that sunday night game against the braves i think a lot of people felt like this is just getting bad and it's not working right now and he had that feel too he didn't wait any longer he made changes uh nico horner was called up i know some of these things were injury related and you had to put guys in but i i think there's that balance there's that fine balance of i don't want to when you make changes to a lineup and you move guys around or you're going to have a different lineup every day, it can piss off some veterans. It can frustrate some people. You can lose someone. He didn't lose anyone. He has buy-in. He has guys trust. He, he has good, he, he communicates well. I just think he's doing a really good job. I've, I've been very impressed with, with how he's handled things and there's no like glaring issues with his in-game strategy. I don't, I don't see it. I, I think he's, he's, he hasn't lost this team very many games with how he manages and and as a rookie who's basically a rookie manager who 
who didn't have any coaching experience before that, I think it's I think you got to give him a lot of props and you got to give a lot of props for to Theo and Jed for identifying him as a future manager years ago. Yeah, I think the only things I would say to counteract or just to point out that I think he's what like nowhere close to 162 games yet as a manager and the yeah. Cups have been <laughs> about what we'd expected like a slightly above average maybe team uh he certainly <clears throat> rode that 13 and 3 start uh for a long <laughs> long while and since he rightly got a lot of credit last year for how the Cubs handled the pandemic, I think the continued vaccine hesitancy within the clubhouse, that's not his fault. There are lots of other factors working against the Cubs in this regard, but it is noteworthy. It is surprising. Uh, but having said that, uh, I think the big thing that I just get from Ross is that he is extremely confident and nothing really phases him. And I think for a big market team like the Cubs, uh, it matters that he has a real feel for like kind of the texture of the organization and the city and how fans kind of interact and uh, interpret kind of the day-to-day baseball season. And that you're right, he can talk to players in a way that, people who did not play in the major league major leagues can't that he just has that credibility and the charisma of a tv star i mean that's what he was at at one point like there's a lot to that uh working in his favor and even though um you know he's been kind of anointed to this position he it's it's been noteworthy that he can admit when he made a mistake uh he's done that uh, a few times and he repeatedly defers to well that's the players it's not about me and I think that goes a, a long way in terms of uh, credibility for all the stakeholders that he has to deal with uh, on a regular basis yeah not to make it a, <clears throat> a crosstown issue but <laughs> let me just note that when it comes to evaluating managers it can be difficult to know when things are going very well because some of the most valuable things that they do happen behind closed doors to help players perform at their best. But certainly uh, some of the worst things that they can do are very visible, very public, either in the media or in managerial decisions. And to his credit so far, I don't think David Ross has had any kind of significant flub. I mean, I, I, you know, I'm in the content creation business, and certainly if David Ross had made a lot of egregious mistakes like, I don't know, not knowing the extra innings rules or throwing his players under the bus publicly um, or saying that it's appropriate to throw at, at, at your own players, uh, you know, things like that. I feel like I would have noticed and I probably would have, have, have written about them. So I think to, to that end of the spectrum, some credit is due to David Ross for avoiding some of those pitfalls that that even a veteran manager could fall into. Even a really, really, really experienced manager could fall into. <laughs> so, <Yeah. laughs> we'll leave You're that saying there. like the White Sox um, are good enough that like we could Ted Lasso coach that team? Like they would probably win 90 <laughs> games if like we were in the dugout? Is that what you're trying to say? <laughs> I'm not saying... 
I'm just saying that uh, to the extent they are very good this year, and they are, and doing so in spite of injuries, and they are, I would uh, I would really credit the players this year for just tremendous performances. That that would be the emphasis if we if this were the uh, the White Sox podcast. Uh, I do know that the White Sox uh, content at the Athletic, James Fagan, is absolutely fantastic. I actually do consume that, and uh, I am I do enjoy that very much. Uh, but this is the Cubs podcast here at the Athletic. It's on Waveland, which you of course know because you have subscribed, you have told your friends, you told your parents that it's a wonderful listen, and we appreciate that very much. I am Brett Taylor. You can catch my stuff at Bleacher Nation. That's Patrick Mooney and Sahadev Sharma. You can get their stuff at The Athletic. And as always, we really appreciate you listening. We'll be back at you later this week as the Cubs take on the Pirates. And uh, yeah, we look forward to it. So thanks. Take care, all.